Hey, y'all, and welcome back to this episode of Pros and Content. I'm your host, Ellen Schwartz, Senior Director of DemandGen here at Notch. In this episode, I sat down with Tucker Stofers, Senior Director of Growth Marketing. His experience in digital demand gen and now growth provide a great canvas for chatting through his approach to the whole customer journey and, I really loved this quote, being data informed instead of data driven. It's a nuanced difference, but an important one. Hope you enjoy. Really quick, before you forget, do me a favor and make sure you're subscribed. You don't want to miss a single episode with these leading B2B SaaS marketers who know how to prove their contribution to business growth at all stages of the funnel. And now, here's your interview. Hello, Tucker, and welcome to the Pros and Content Podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. How are you? I am doing so good. Thanks for having me, Ellen. Great. For our audience, I'm excited to be here with Tucker Stofers. You work at Divi, which is a division of Bill, formerly Bill.com, which is how I remember what it is. Yep. And you were kind of acquired COVID-ish times, right? pandemic times. Yep, absolutely. So it's been June 2021, so a little over a year, year and a half now. But you're specifically working within Divi, so we're going to be referencing that a lot. So just wanted to kind of give everybody a heads up that that is what we're saying. You also have a really, really strong and cool background in digital marketing, a little bit of agency work scattered back there, way back in the back, moved yep. from digital to demand gen, and now you are the senior director of growth marketing at Divi. So I was curious to dig into that path, not necessarily the companies that you are at, but that kind of transition from one to the next. Can you walk me through that? Yeah, I'd love to. So I am, it's funny to say, but I feel like I'm on that early days of digital marketing crew you know, hitting whatever it was 15 years ago, starting to look at ways I could make some money on the side. And the internet was this whole fun world of possibilities as it has been forever. So I started writing content, figured out how to monetize that through things like AdSense. That evolved to, okay, how do I learn SEO a little bit better? And then that evolved to, okay, well, maybe I could arbitrage a little bit of paid media traffic. So how do I learn paid search? How do I learn display? And really, my first experiences in digital marketing and paid advertising was out of necessity for myself and using my own dollars, which I don't think a lot of people come through that path anymore. Right. Yeah. It gives you a different perspective. It really does. And I, I tell everybody, you know, I started doing my own thing. And if you can do that, you really get an appreciation for how to make things work. And like, if you have to make things work, that's all the better. But a lot of people who are trying to get into digital, I even have them skip that step and recommend going into an agency, which is what I did next. Like agency life, I was able to come in and participate in a lot of things really fast. (laughs) Hey, yeah, you've got 10 accounts, 20 accounts that you need to be taken care of. And so you get this opportunity to think about things really differently. And you get the opportunity to see how it's not all just pushing buttons and pulling levers and optimizing CPCs and things of that nature, you have to learn to take it one step further in understanding the business's objectives. So a lot of times for an e-commerce business, it's really straightforward. You know, you need to be producing a profit out of this. So you can sell a product at X, can only cost you Y to get there. And the difference is what you're making. The math's a little simpler, right? Like you can set a return on ad spend goal, Mm -hmm or a margin-based goal and just run a lot of times, as long as there's the money there to keep it going. When you get into B2B, 
I learned the tough lesson that that's not always the case, that you can't, it's not always just as simple as dollars in versus dollars out reporting on the platform, because you've got a few different layers and a few different problems you have to deal with there. The first one that hit me really hard and fast was this offline conversion shift, where e-commerce is great because the dollars change hand, the transaction is all digitally and you can track from beginning to end. So you know exactly what happened. But when you get into B2B, it's like, okay, I'm going to take that lead. I'm going to go do some stuff over here with it for a while. And then maybe later, I'll come back and tell you if it was good or not. Maybe if you're lucky. <laughs> and for heaven's sake, don't ask anything about that man behind the curtain. Right. No. And so being at an agency, a lot of times 10 years ago, it felt like you were just throwing stuff over the wall. Hey, how do yeah. I get it? Cheap, cheap leads, cheap MQLs, scale yeah. volume. How do we churn and burn this bad boy? And so through experience, and, and I worked as both kind of a tactician and an account manager, and eventually you just start learning from those conversations like, oh, not all leads are created equal. And so mm-hmm. you start unpacking that there's like, oh, there's more and more to this whole marketing thing than just driving strictly by the metrics. And so, you know, I used to talk a lot about being, especially when I was specifically in performance marketing, I was always a data-driven marketer. You know, everything is by the books, by the numbers, that's it, end mm-hmm. of story. And I like to think that I've evolved to more of a data-informed marketer. Like the numbers have to be there and you have to be able to tell your story with the numbers. But there's a lot of times there's another layer beyond just the numbers for the business objectives that you have to understand and you have to go after. So for yeah. me, it was like a logical progression of like, okay, I'm going to learn the little tactics. Then it's, okay, I'm going to look at the tactics from different perspectives and understand and appreciate where other people are coming from. Then that evolved to like, okay, if it's not as cut and dry as you know a swipe of a charge card and there's weeks, days, weeks, months of conversations happening after a lead is generated before it turns into revenue, like you really have to understand the business And that's how I kind of transitioned from my own scrappy stuff to doing B2B growth at a, you know, a big, fun, publicly traded company. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think what I heard you say, too, is that it's you started very tactical and now you have the full view of things. You can't take only the data that is presented to you and say, I will optimize only on this because it is the only thing that will ever be affected by it. It's that all of those leads and the cheap leads you're talking about versus the good ones. Don't, you know, if yep. those don't move the right way and you suddenly someone comes back to you and you try to answer with, but I did my job, they will say, <laughs> I will have someone else do it for you. So yep. I think that's that's what I took away from that is like kind of that progression from very tactic to then the strategy, but now even just like that really holistic view of things. Yeah. I love what you said about being data informed. I think that's always the key to anything with data is that you can use it as long as it's the right data. First of all, it's like you've got, there's so much nuance around data, even though what we want it to be is cut and dry. So I really appreciate that. Can you go into a little bit about what you're doing at Divi? What as a growth marketer are you really focused on and what would some of those overarching business goals be for you? Yeah. So the evolution of my time at Divi has actually also, to me, felt really like a good linear progression. When I came in, I actually came in shortly after we had a reduction in force from the COVID era. Original hit came and hit Divi really hard. Because So a little bit about the product, just to better understand some of this perspective is 
Divi itself is a free-to-use platform for the end users. We're a software that's paired with a business credit card that enables every time you spend with the card, it's automatically pulled into your expense reports. It's automatically pulled into your reimbursements in real time. And so you're not carrying around receipts. You're not lugging around mm-hmm. you know, stacks of reimbursement forms when you're on a trip. It's all just magically connected. And that's the, you know, the magic of what makes Divi the next step in spend management. But because of that, we get the chance to have a cool business model in that we don't have to charge for the software because we make our revenue off the transaction fees of the charge card. And so we get to come into every conversation as, hey, this is free for you to use. Right. We want to help you streamline your processes. We want to help you save time. And all of these fun marketing messages that we get to capitalize on. But the other side of that is there's no guaranteed revenue either. You know, when you're, when you sign a big juicy SaaS contract, theoretically, it doesn't matter if the customer uses it or not. Like your deals locked in, in, your revenue is on the books for 12 months. (laughs) Right. It's like, in fact, that's where oftentimes we see SaaS fall down is it's like, well, the money's through who, you know, we don't need to worry about adoption. That's someone else's problem. It's a challenge, but to me, I think it's what makes things so special in that we have to have customers using the product or we don't make any revenue. And so that makes it so that our marketing team, our sales team, and our customer success team are all very aligned mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, if sales sells a customer, there's no dollars exchanged. From there, it's up to our customer success team to actually get them using the product. And so if sales yeah. is closing deals that don't end up utilizing the product, there's no revenue. And so yeah. we've got like this extra step in the, in the revenue cycle. But when people say get terrified of a global pandemic, they stop spending for a second. I was, okay, they see so what I happens. wasn't it's like there is a loaded question here, which is that I think a lot of marketers right now are feeling the pressure to do more with less, but yep. their budget is somewhat more guaranteed because of the aforementioned yep. 12 month contracts. So yep. your future really will depend on making sure people continue to spend. So how is Divi shifting when not only are you might be seeing it in your own sales cycles that people are pulling back, but then anybody who you do have likely also is pulling back. What's the plan here? Exactly. (laughs) It's a great (laughs) question. To me, it is all about alignment and good communication throughout. And that's again, how I kind of started expanding my scope and expanding my scope because once a lead came in, I didn't want to let it go yet because I Mm. wanted it to see it turn into a good opportunity. So I, crept a little bit further there. But then once an opportunity closes, it's like, well, I still need them to spend money. So I had to creep in a little bit further into that and look at the customer marketing cycle in the onboarding cycle, because there's still no revenue until they start using it. And then there's no guaranteed revenue ever. (laughs) And so I need to keep them using it for a long time. So at Divi, I've been very fortunate in that I've had the opportunity to be at a company that's willing to invest a lot in human resources. And so our customer success teams and our implementation teams are very much invested in the success of the customer. And so from a marketing standpoint, we work really closely with sales, customer support, and customer success to say, how do we stay in contact with them? How do we keep them engaged in the product? And so there's a lot of human resources. Hey, let's set up a webinar for customers 
and then help all of our customer success managers promote that to their book of business. Right. Like a lot of that. And then the inverse is we get their benefit of insights from when they're actually talking to customers or talking to prospects that we want to pull back and then try and scale. So, Hmm. hey, we'll help you with your one-to-one interactions as much as possible. And as long as you help us with our one-to-many interactions and help us find what resonates with people, what they need in the future. And so it's turned into like this really good feedback loop throughout the entire organization. By necessity, which I like. And I I love that you started with communication. That's something that I think people, you could have the best strategy in the world, but if you can't communicate it and get people aligned, it's not going to get off the ground. So I like that too. But I think what I was about to ask you, it's like, oh, so it's like a big ABM play because you were talking about (laughs) one-to-ones. It's like, well, that can't be right because you need it to scale. And what then, so then right at the very end though, it sounds like it's you're just describing this wonderful symbiotic and I guess that's the true flywheel idea is that yep. you're learning from your customers in order to get more customers in order to learn from your customers get more customers I like that a lot I think that's really really cool how are you thinking about that from a customer journey standpoint then uh, it's a good question I think really the communication and alignment is like the fed horse I'm going to keep feeding throughout this conversation in that uh-huh. it has to be regular and it has to be aligned I can't have our top of funnel messaging be completely different from the messaging they're getting after, after they become a customer, after they start using Mm -hmm. the product. And that's multifaceted in, it can't look different. It can't sound like it's from a totally different company. I can't have four different email teams that all have different looks and feels or it feels disjointed. And so we try to have a very consistent voice and message you know, we've, again, been blessed with very strong content marketers and very strong copywriters that can touch all of these things. I've got people on our content marketing team who will be writing social ads in the morning, writing content for slides for thought leadership webinars in the afternoon, and writing, you know, customer support emails in the evening. And because of that, they also get the full picture of that continuity we're trying to pull throughout that customer life cycle. And Mm -hmm. so whether it's paid media, whether it's our in-product display ads, whether it's our organic social or our paid search ads, everything that pops up, it's got a similar voice. We're talking about the same things and we're speaking to our customers in the same way. Yeah. So it sounds like your paid media strategy when it comes to the look and feel or the messaging that you're using isn't going to be very different than your organic. Yeah, it's it's really similar. We're just trying to use as much insight as we can from whether it's audience data, like how they've interacted with us in the past, or whether it's platform level, like firmographic or demographic data. We try and use whatever inputs we can and then speak to the the point of the process that they're in. But I think it all comes from the same perspective, which is nice. Mm -hmm. Is there a way that those two strategies would differ from your paid to your organic? We do keep a lot of our organic higher funnel is how I would probably describe Mm -hmm. it. So still using our organic to promote top, middle, and bottom of sales funnel activities. So things like, you know, we've got a Forrester TEI report that we had done last year that's got great stats and fun takeaways that is probably more geared towards that person lower in, in the consideration funnel sure. or the buying stages. 
but it's still great to throw that out there on social and say, hey, we found that Divi can save you X number of hours a month. And even if you're a little higher in the process, maybe that gets you thinking. But our paid, we can be a lot more tactical knowing, hey, they've engaged with this type of content or they're an open opportunity that is in a certain stage. And we know, okay, it's time for customer success stories. It's time for hitting them with that Uh full TEI report. It's time to build trust and to kind of illustrate that social proof in a little bit different way than at the top of the funnel, where it might be a little bit more flexible. It might be a little bit more lighthearted, if you will. Right. You know, we're just throwing some lines into the water and see what works versus... Yeah, we need to remind you... There you go. Yeah, we need to remind you exactly how much you hate these expense reports. And then we'll Mm -hmm. talk to you about how much time they save you. Right, 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 right. I think it's a really mature way to market is to make sure that that's all aligned and that that's all really informing from one side to the next and that you're not looking at paid just as a way to bring in any eyeballs, but to actually get your content, the right content in front of the right people. It's a big part of it. And one thing I didn't even mention, and everybody who's listening who's in B2B has this problem with, okay, how do I speak to the different people inside the buying committee? You know, taking that persona, if you will, one step further in the function also, and knowing, hey, just because someone is a senior person in the finance department doesn't mean they care about accounting. They might be in financial planning and analysis or FP&A and reimbursements. They never even talk about reimbursements. So why, why does an ad about saving hours a week on reimbursements right. mean anything to them? It means nothing. Their whole thing is about forecasting and future and spotting trends. And so Divi might not be even a good option for us to market to them. And so we have to keep that in mind. And as we're picking the buying committees, as we're selecting our audiences and things like that, as we're building our email lists and we start getting that enriched data on what titles people are and what roles they're in, like, Mm -hmm. oh, it says a lot. And we may need to really drastically change our approach even though it's the same message at the end of the day. I feel this a lot being a a marketer who markets to marketers is that you could be a digital marketing person and have 18 different things under your purview. Yeah, it it doesn't mean anything to you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, sometimes like, and I think that's, yeah, it's definitely something that it can inform a lot more of your strategy if you're really digging into that and getting that next level of data. So that's really cool. Yeah. Kind of marketing to marketers. Long. It's the dream, but it's also the nightmare, I feel like. So it's <laughs> good for oh you. <laughs> we'll have a whole episode on imposter syndrome later. It'll be great. Um, Excellent. But I was curious a little bit too. So I know we hit a bit earlier on the, the pandemic and how that's going to shift and change. And I think we're also yeah. heading into a recession now. Pro- you know, probably not an economist. Don't Please don't anybody publish what I'm saying. Yeah. But I didn't know if that changed even your paid media strategy or are you going to shift some of those dollars? Like we kind of mentioned that we have to start really doing more with less, but also you are going to be asked to prove return on anything that you are spending. So is there anything that you feel is shifting in that paid strategy or in your growth marketing strategy? There definitely has been shifts in our approach with our organic marketing strategy, our paid strategy, and our customer communication across the board. We've really doubled down in, thankfully, kind of our core company values, which are saving you time and money, automating your business finances, 
so that you can focus on other areas and kind of take some of that time back. And so we're really just looking to say, okay, what messages are resonating? Oh, perfect. It's already, you know, what we're talking a lot about with save time, save money, do more with less, which is something that we're trying to embody internally as well as we see what shakes out out there in the market. But how can you do more with less? And is it hiring another person to the accounting team or maybe getting a software that can be more cost effective, automate that? And just give you that headspace, that headcount, that cap space to put in other places. So we've seen that work really well. You know, we didn't necessarily see the data tell us to stop pushing as hard on the really heavy growth messaging that we have seen success with. But we have consciously pulled that back a little bit as well, just trying to be conscious of, you know, the environment and making sure that we're not sending weird signals there. You know, we want to meet these businesses where they're at. Yeah, you're you're trying to read the room. You can't go out yeah, saying everyone's to gonna room. have Yeah. We kinda yep. know at this point nobody's gonna have unlimited budget and that you will be thinking really critically about where any of your budget is gonna go in the next twelve to twenty-four months. We've got a blog post coming out here at Notch, and I know that you've got some background in performance and paid. So I wanna see the reason I'm gonna ask you these kind of quick fire, I'm gonna say like reactions to some things you can track. Because I think this is what will really tie it all to back to growth marketing. And I think this is Love stuff it. that people don't always get 100% right, which is why we're hoping to kind of surface these ideas and help people move a little bit further down that maturity with your data and your reporting. How important is it for people to track conversions off of their paid media? 100% important. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is, that's always a great question. And being in the agency space and doing consulting for a long time, I always was shocked at how many companies were not tracking at least one or two steps down the funnel as well. A piece of advice that I recently gave someone is, you know, not all MQLs are created equally. And so that first layer of conversion tracking of just, hey, did they fill out the form? Did they request the demo? Did they schedule the meeting is one level, but is that actually qualified pipeline is the next level in that? Right. And I would pay, you know, twice as much for a lead that went to qualified pipeline at a 4x rate comfortably, right? Like you've got to do that math, but the further into the funnel you can be looking a lot of times, the more impact you can make when it comes time to optimization. Okay. So this is why I wanted to talk to you about this because I have five things I wanted to ask you about and you just hit on three of them in the same answer, which is incredible. I'm so ranty. (laughs) No, it was perfectly summarized. And I will just tell it everyone, like the audience know too. It's like, so conversion tracking, what you described is like, okay, they've made it to your landing page. What happens next? You also need to know then your conversion rate, which you mentioned. It's like, you'd rather have one lead that definitely converts versus two that might. And then that the low cost per click or your low cost per lead might not be the end goal. As you said, you'd gladly pay more as long as it was a more higher guarantee to actually turn into business. So right off the bat, like I don't actually know a good score sports metaphor for how that works, but maybe it's like three out of your five PKs since we just came out of the World Cup. That's not bad. I love it. That's good work. That's good work. Thank you. Thank you. So the other two then that I wanted to bring up is how these might fit in with retargeting and yep. how you would use that. And then the second one is keyword monitoring. So I don't know okay. which of those you want to kick on first. I'm going to take remarketing and take it out one like half step 
to just Love it. take a second look at your audiences. So both what you're targeting mm. and what you're remarketing to. If you haven't been in there trimming things out in a while, you can find some good opportunities. So for remarketing to start, excluding things like login page visitors or career page visitors or maybe less topical content pieces, those mm. might be signals that those are not your most effective audiences. Maybe they're looking for a job. Maybe they looked at your press page and they're just, you know, they're a reporter or a salesperson looking for contacts. That's one of the, I think, lower hanging pieces of fruit from a remarketing side is just like double check the pages that you're visiting. You might have some opportunity to pair things back there. You know, if you're really looking to make some deeper cuts as well, take that and flip it and say, hey, what are the most important pages to me? Did they look at our pricing page? Did they look at two feature pages? You know, make the threshold to get into those lists a little bit higher could be kind of the next step after just trimming the fat of careers pages and press pages, things like that. So I think that's a big one for remarketing. So understanding just how people are using your website to a certain extent and that you're not going to spend, you know, throw money after people you've already convinced. And then the other half of that too is understanding the pages that really signal high interest or high intent. We like to call these high value actions at Notch. Demo page is a perfect example or pricing page, something where they're mentally spending their money if they're on those pages for you. So I do think it's really important to find those pieces that convert for you in whatever that might be. I sit kind of in this middle spot of the funnel with my podcasts and my virtual events, and (laughs) I need to be moving people through. It's not very often that you'll see someone come through and say, I heard exactly one podcast episode and I'm convinced here's my money. But it is showing up like in our notch data in the middle. It's showing up where people will say, I'm going to listen to an episode or two, and then I'll move on to a case study. That's one of the ones we then use is like, hey, we can see that this case study is what people go on then to convert. So the more journeys we can get with those case studies, the more we can start to fine tune that and really move that through. So I like that. I like this frame of the retargeting that you've put this in. That helps a lot. So yeah. The last one, and I will say too, I I know hardly anything about keyword monitoring because that's just never been where I play. But yep. seems like there might be some good good opportunities to tie that back into growth as well. And not to put words in your mouth, but I do wonder if it's similar to conversions to where you need to just kind of take that next step. Understand what are they doing for you? No, you nailed it. And I think it's similar to both our previous question, conversions and audiences. The easy place to trim is starting with keyword exclusions, right? What keywords Mm. do we not want people searching? Most people have like a negative keyword list that's got a lot of the easy things like internships or a lot of softwares like free is a bad word, um, (laughs) careers, anything like that. Google's taking more and more liberties with keyword match types than they ever have in the past. So like an an exact match keyword is not what it once was. You know, no matter how strict you try to get with them, they're going to take some liberties and branch it out a little bit into things that they think are related. Mm. So the better you can do about getting really specific with your negative keywords and making sure that you're bundling your themes appropriately is going to be big. And then bringing back to the, the main, one of the main themes that we've carried through here of just understanding your business objectives and knowing Again, hey, just because this campaign is driving leads at a better rate, just because this keyword Mm -hmm. is driving opportunities at a better rate, 
does that mean it's turning into revenue? And so taking the time to ensure you've got good tracking through the funnel. And so that's making sure your offline conversion data is there. And for those in the paid search world and doing this every day, you know, that's making sure that your GCLIDs are making it into your CRM and then that that data is making its way back into Google. You've got to have the feedback loop with all of your vendors, just like you do internally, if you want any of these programs to be successful. You know, Google Ads isn't just the guaranteed <laughs> channel that it, it may not. have once yeah. been, right? Nothing's as greenfield on when it comes to right. digital as it used to be. Yeah, well, and I think what I wanted to underline there is that you mentioned that you can tie these things to business results. And I think that's something that doesn't feel super actionable if you don't have the full funnel view of things and that full journey. It's really hard to say my ad drove, yeah, like this many clicks or whatever, but to really get down to the conversions or whatever the next step is, I don't want to always assume that you have to draw the line to something, but to a subscriber rate to something else. That's really where you can be very compelling in your argument for your budgets as much as it is anything else to where if you can identify, you know, let's say easy math, you've got 10 keywords and you know that five are performing really well and five are okay. This might be the moment to say, I need to take two of those okay and put that budget behind the really good performing ones. And without that full view of it, like you said, you are going to be guessing. You might be converting, you might be, putting that budget behind something that looks like it's performing really well based on that first step, but by step two or three has really fallen off. It can be hard because every organization yeah. has like these different leading metrics. And it's like, well, you know, Ellen, I've got this situation where I need MQLs. And so I just need to be optimizing to my MQL rate. I think a lot of marketers have been there. That's something I've been asked many times in my career. Deep breaths. <laughs> right? Deep we'll be breaths. opening up the, the support line right after. Yeah, no kidding. But that, like, that transitions to opportunities and everything else. And so it's just yeah. like, I would just pound the head on alignment and making sure that everyone knows what you're trying to do. Like over-communicating with your sales team, over-communicating with the rest of your marketing team, on, hey, we're trying to get to X threshold. If you can find the ways to get to an aligned point of something like, okay, this pipeline we know converts at 25%. And setting some kind of a threshold that's maybe not totally revenue because maybe you've got a longer sales cycle. You know, I get that one a lot too. Like, oh, Tucker, I don't have a two-week sales cycle. I have a six-month sales cycle. I have a nine-month sales cycle. You have to have some leading metrics. And so just as long as you know what it is, it's clearly defined. Just keep banging that drum and make sure everyone knows what you're working towards. Be willing to take a little heat sometimes when the MQL number isn't quite there. And, yeah. You know, point down the line to the revenue number. Like I, Exactly. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I had to like, I was feeling it in my heart at the moment. No, I love <laughs> it. I love when you feel something in your heart and you get to put it out, especially yep. when it's on my particular podcast I will say too, I had a great conversation with a guy named Blake who outlined lots of those leading metrics. So if you just listen to Tucker say all these things and you were just sitting there like weeping into your coffee mug because you're not (laughs) sure where to begin, that will be an excellent, excellent podcast for you to listen to. He gives lots of great examples of how to identify those metrics 
do it yourself to a certain extent. Like, but the other thing too is always make friends with your marketing ops or your data people yep. because they want you to be successful too. They want you to be using their data too. So get those metrics. You can do it, I promise. So, well, I have really, really enjoyed this conversation, Tucker. And I wanted to thank you one more time for joining me and to chat about all this and get super nerdy about it. So thank you for being yep. here. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hopefully we do it again one day. <laughs> oh, I'd love that. Thanks for listening to Pros and Content brought to you by Notch. We hope you subscribe to hear more interviews with leading marketers in SaaS B2B companies. We're focused this season on how marketers prove their contribution to business growth at all stages of the funnel. You can learn more about how Notch helps you uncover your organization's true audience journey, including what drives conversions at notch.com. That's K-N-O-T-C-H dot com.